Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading can be found on page 650 in the Church Bibles. Proverbs chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 1. To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the pride of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. The lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favour is like a rain cloud in spring. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. Understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it, but folly brings punishment to fools. A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 
There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. The labourer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. A scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. A violent man entices his neighbour and leads him down a path that is not good. He who winks with his eye is plotting perversity. He who purses his lips is bent on evil. Grey hair is a crown of splendour. It is attained by a righteous life. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap but its every decision is from the Lord. The second reading is on page 1214. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example although they are so large and are driven by strong winds they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go likewise the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water And salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we do indeed uh, pray that you would speak to us 
As we open your word that your spirit would speak to our hearts, your very purposes for us, uh, that we may be mature and complete, lacking for nothing. Uh, This purpose that you have had for us uh, all the way through eternity. And we pray that uh, your word would break through unbelief uh, where we seek after other purposes. Uh, We pray that especially tonight, Father, that you would speak, that we may speak in a way that would please you. And we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, Please take a seat. And uh, please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3 as we continue our journey uh, through this little book, page 1214, James chapter 3. And we'll be looking at the first 12 verses together. Sundays. uh, Sundays around 7 was when it happened. Uh, That's when my teacher would teach me. Uh, He taught me through the formative years of high school all the way through to the early years as a young worker. Uh, I say my teacher because that is how God arranged it. He arranged this man to be in my path to teach me in those years. A decade of Sundays he taught me, uh, teaching me the gospel of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, a man who was wholly convinced of that gospel and compelled to speak it. A man with the gift of teaching, he was indeed, is one of the greats. And I was a slow learner, still am. But the difference his teaching made to my life over that decade was enormous. I am confident in my salvation because the Spirit of God gifted this man to teach me the whole counsel of God. I am longing for the hope of glory because his speech was filled with it. I was taught the precious things of the faith. I was rebuked uh, regularly, uh, corrected, trained in righteousness. And not just me, uh, really a whole generation in a church family, hearts, souls, minds filled with Jesus and all he is for us. Uh, All of us slow learners. And yet our teacher faithfully and persistently taught us. And how precious, how vital is the gift of teachers for the church. How uh, we as a church long to see many, many more prepared to teach in this church and beyond. It's right at the heart of our vision as a church family uh, to train up more leaders for this church family and uh, for this city and for this nation and for the nations. That's why we uh, heavily invest in ministry trainees, uh, even at difficult financial times. It's why we have forward Bible training on Thursdays. It's why we train our small group leaders, our student team, our youth leaders, our children's workers, our Friday club team and the mums and dads uh, charged with teaching their children and grandparents for that matter. Uh, We want to flood this church, this city, this land, this world with teachers. And so with that longing in our ears that we want many more teachers, uh, turn with me to James 3 verse 1 and see a verse that, well, puts the brakes on all of that. Uh, James 3 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. It's as if James has been listening in as we talk about this longing for more teachers and sort of says, whoa, hang on a second. I can see your enthusiasm, I admire it, but let's take care here because not many of you should presume to be teachers. What's he worried about? Is he worried that we'd have teachers teaching a sort of a false gospel, liberal teachers all throughout this church and this land and beyond? To which we say, James, you're right. If if that's what you're getting at, absolutely, we've got too many of those. 
But no, says James, that's not what I'm concerned about. That's an obvious danger. My concern is far more subtle, but just as serious. You see, the danger that James will speak of in our passage tonight in chapter three is this. It is the danger of the incredibly powerful tool of trade that a teacher uses, their tongue, their speech. I mean, we know it, don't we? How powerful are words, how dangerous. Because while the tongue has the power to build, it has just as much power to destroy. And when it comes to how uh, teachers use their tongue, uh, we would, and those who would presume to be teachers, do you see it there, verse one, they will be judged more strictly. And that's right, isn't it? That's the way it should be, for God knows that those who are teachers are afforded a platform, a respect, an audience for their words. Uh, The clergyman, the lighthouse leader, the one who speaks at Friday Club, the youth worker, the giggler's teacher, the mum or dad charged with teaching their children, all of them afforded ears that will listen when their tongues speak. Their words, uh, both the carefully constructed ones and those uh, impulsively said in haste, have the capacity to build up or tear down, to bless or to curse. And how that opportunity is used each and every time it's given will be taken with the utmost seriousness by the one who sits on the throne of heaven and earth. Not many of you, says our God, should presume to be teachers because you know that we who uh, teach will be judged more strictly And we'll see tonight why our God is so concerned about how we speak as teachers. But as we do, uh, remember that while this is an issue especially true for teachers, it is an issue we must all take seriously. For as verse 2 says, uh, while there are many ways in which we all stumble, and uh, we could almost group ourselves in that way, uh, some of us stumble this way and we get into a group of those who stumble in a particular way, some of us stumble over here, But if we were to try and form a group of those who never stumble in what they say, well, there'd be no one in it. Such a person is claiming perfection. We all stumble in different ways. But quite simply, we all stumble in what we say. And so teachers or not, let us be quick to listen to God, our teacher, who has already spoken of this again and again in this letter to us. You remember back in 1 verse 19, he said, you should be slow to speak. In chapter 2 verse 12, he said, speak as one who knows they're going to be judged for what they say. And so tonight, simply, we will see three things about our tongue. The tongue is powerful, the tongue is destructive, and the tongue is disordered. Let's have a look at the first of those. The tongue is powerful. Verses three to five. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed as we've been going through this uh, book, but James loves metaphors. He loves pictures. And in verses three to five, he really goes to town. He lays them on one after another to make his point. Verse three, he says, the tongue is, a, is like a bit placed in the mouth of a horse. This tiny little tool can control the movement of a whole huge horse. Or take ships, verse four, or, although they're very large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Or verse five, just a small spark can set a whole forest ablaze. So, says James, so it is with the tongue. 
while only a tiny part of the body. Have a look at it now. Uh, Let me invite you to have the opportunity to stick out your tongue in church. Uh, Have a look at it, this bizarre little fleshy thing that God has given you, so small. But our speech, our tongue is powerful. And humanity knows that. It, It loves that about tongues and speech. As uh, Tom said earlier, history, uh, the history of humanity uh, is shaped by the use of the tongue to change minds, to influence people, to inspire people, to set whole nations ablaze with ideas. Now consider the words of the playwrights, uh, those who craft words when, and when the tongue speaks them, wow. Imagine uh, the, the, the skill of being able to evoke such anticipation with just one sentence at the start of your play. Like, uh, a sentence like this. If music be the food of love, play on. Everyone in their seats desperate to hear more. Or a song's refrain that can sort of transport you to some remembered distant time. Or consider the words of the great politicians, the great speeches they have given. Barack Obama, for instance, swept to power on the back of three words. That's all it took. All it took to lift the sights of the American people. Yes, we can, he said over and over again. Or the precious, powerful words of Churchill in the dark days of the war. Or even just consider the words that someone you love has said to you that changed your life forever. Ours is a world that knows the power of the tongue. But let me say tonight, as uh, the family of God within this world, as the church, how much more, how much more are the words spoken in this community powerful? Especially when we have the privilege of speaking not merely the words of men, but the very word of God to each other. The word of the one who made heaven and earth by speaking. How powerful is the word we get to speak to one another Uh, in a gathering like this, in small groups, in all sorts of settings. There are no small words, only powerful, purposeful ones. We are people of the word and we know and love the power of the tongue of another speaking that word to us. Perhaps you know that experience, perhaps a sermon in the past that uh, like a small spark set your heart ablaze for God. Or the word of a brother or sister to you that brought comfort. How powerful the word of a brother or sister that encourages or rebukes or teaches or trains that moves us on to maturity. Oh yes, verse five, the tongue is a small part of the body but it can make great boasts. Handful of words can bring new life about. Change a life forever. Build a church or set a whole city ablaze with hope. The tongue is powerful. But, verses six to nine, the tongue is also destructive. Because the words that come from our tongues are not just these words, are they? The words that bless, the words that build, but also words that curse and pull down. You see, when we're being honest about our tongues, they're divided, they produce mixed words. Words of life, yes, but also words of death. And we know it when uh, in the heat of the moment, under pressure or frustrated, we speak words like that. See, this mighty member of our body can boast of its power to build, but to its shame, it can also lay claim to great power of destruction. Just a small spark 
Just a few words in the heat of the moment can set a fire started that will incinerate all the good we have said up to that point. And do you know that experience? Either having spoken sinfully or perhaps had another speak that way to you. Now consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Our God wants us to see just how serious this is. I was thinking about that whole concept of uh, a spark setting uh, a whole forest on fire and it reminded me that uh, while we were out in Australia uh, recently, uh, they, they, um, they were fearful of a whole series of bushfires about to start and so in preparation for it, they decided to come up with a whole other category of warning for bushfires. Uh, all around Australia, if you're driving along the roads, you'll see these warning signs to tell you how serious the danger is on a particular day and for, for decades really, the most serious has been extreme. But as this particular summer rolled around, they were looking for some way of sort of some wriggle room between extreme and something more extreme than extreme. And so they came up with catastrophic. (laughs) And so they had to invent a new colour scheme and a series of dots and uh, someone had the job of going all around the country and putting this new bit on all the signs. Well, I reckon if James was to uh, put the danger of the tongue on that, he would put catastrophic as a level of danger. How much harm a handful of words can do? As I say that, I am sure there are many of us who will be calling to mind things that have been said to us or we've said to others that the sting of them remains lodged very deep. We are capable of such cruelty, such condescension with our mere words. Now here's my question. Why? Why would we ever speak such words? Here is a creature, verse 9 says, here is a creature made in God's image. A creature that he has declared to be precious, to be made for blessing and life. And we speak words that curse, that pull down that creature, that kill relationship. Why would we do that? Well, the Bible's answer is clear. It is, as Proverbs 16 puts it, it was read out for us earlier, such words are words that come from a fool. You see, it's the figuring of a fool that would speak words like that. A fool that in the heat of the moment, we we take back the throne of our life. There in that moment, like a fool, I say there is no God, no judgment, no salvation, nothing other than me and this other person in the battle of our tongues. And I am not going to back down. And so verse six, in that moment, the tongue becomes a world unto itself with its own dominion, licensed to say whatever it likes. Have you noticed that when you speak angry words? Nothing can stop it. A world of evil, as Calvin puts it. The tongue is capable of a world of iniquity. You thought about that? There is no limit, is there, to the sort of evils our tongues can spit out. You name it, we're capable of it. But at the heart of James' concern, if you've been reading along as we've gone through James, are the words of fire that we speak, angry words. Words that come out when we're squeezed or under pressure. Words that come out when the situation gets the better of us. Our heart overflows with frustration, with anger. It is, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How we wish we hadn't. As this powerful tool cuts down with angry words. 
Words that uh, James 1.20 says don't lead to the righteous life that God desires. Instead, they lead to damage. Well, there's a whole world of that stuff on our tongues. The evil words of envy, words of gossip, of unfounded complaint, of prideful defense, of fearful retreat, words of self-promotion, words of comparison, words of banter where we actually mean the sting to remain. Crass words, callous words, divisive words, fighting words. There is a world of evil on our tongues. And James, in this passage, wants to make clear that the damage our words do is not in abstraction. It's not like we can say, well, there's the words I speak, they're over here, and then there's my life over here, and we're sort of separate. No, to speak angry words, words that rebel against. Remember the king's law of love we saw in 2 verse 8? The love of the other. Commitment to the other's good. Such words, verse 6, corrupt the whole person. When we speak like that, whatever else our body is doing is corrupted, damaged, diminished by my sinful words. You ever seen that up close? I remember a youth leader I served with years ago. He was exceptional. A one of a kind, a passionate preacher, brilliant with the youth, brilliant with unbelievers, Bible focused, fearless, it seemed. Uh, the sort of real presence that every youth group needs. He would light up the room as soon as he entered it. Funny as you can imagine. He'd carry people with him, he'd have an idea, and we'd all be behind him. Uh, but there were moments, uh, not many, but enough to notice, moments that the temper would fire. And the cruel words of uh, nastiness in defence or attack would come. They weren't even loud words. But they were spoken to impose or belittle or to assert. And you knew what was happening because everyone else got very quiet. In the end, it didn't matter how good or gifted or experienced or energetic he was. His angry words, rare as they were, corrupted everything. And verse 6 set the whole course of his life on fire. He affected everyone. And eventually people withdrew for fear of being burnt. Where could such a fiery tongue come from? Well, James' answer in the next few weeks is to state plainly that such words come from our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, says Jesus. Such words come from a heart that has stopped heeding the wisdom of heaven as instead heeding a wisdom from below, from this earth, from our own flesh, even from the devil, we're told in this passage. And we'll see more of that next week in verses 14 to 16. And ultimately, the marks of this wisdom that we're heeding rather than God's word, God's wisdom, is a wisdom filled by two things, envy and selfish ambition. And the more our hearts draw on the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of our own flesh, the wisdom of the devil, the more our hearts will be motivated by first envy, which is ultimately grief at another's good, and selfish ambition, commitment to our good at the expense of another. And, says James, that will show itself in your words. You see, ours is not a speech problem. Ours is a heart problem. Our tongues are like a thermometer gauging the health of our hearts, an indicator of the sort of wisdom that that the heart is being filled with. A tongue that speaks words that pull down, angry words, is a heart that has drunk deep of the wisdom from below, 
that views others, not as uh, one I am called to love at cost, but others as competition, as I seek to promote my own good. At heart, they have, uh, as we saw back in 1 verse 5, they lack the wisdom of heaven and they've stopped seeking it. They've forgotten God's good purposes. And so what do we do? And what do we do with a heart like that? Well, as we wrestle with what to do with our hearts, see this in verses seven and eight. Your fiery tongue, uh, you can't tame it. Humanity is tasked with the job of subduing all of creation, but we can't even control this tiny little part of our own bodies. How broken we are. So our untamed tongue remains, verse eight, a restless evil. Now that word restless has actually been a word that we've seen a lot in James. It's the same word James used to describe the double-minded man back in chapter one, verse eight. One who has sort of split loves. He loves God and his purposes for him, but again and again he doubts them and lurches towards trusting God, the world's selfish ambition. Such a heart produces a tongue that, well, you're never sure what will come from it. One minute words that bring life and health to others, the next, verse eight, a deadly poison. And our tongues reflect the divided disorder of our hearts. And so that brings us to that third description we're gonna look at tonight, verses nine to 12, the tongue is disordered. Just briefly on this, you see it there in verse nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Praise, our blessing of our Lord and Father. What our tongues were made for, the highest, purest, most noble form of speech we're capable of, and then cursing, the lowest, most impure, most ignoble use of speech. And curse is a strong word, isn't it? It's a desire for the harm of another, that they be out of the path of blessing. It's a big word, but James says, that's what you're doing with sinful speech. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. We get used to it. It's just life. It's the way we are. No, says James in verse 10. No, it shouldn't be. To sin with our speech is to make a nonsense of our new birth that we heard about in chapter one, our progress towards maturity. It's a sign that we will not humbly accept the word he has planted in us. It's a sign that we're merely listening to his word rather than actually doing what it says. James finishes our passage with two illustrations to make that point. Verses 11 and 12. First he says, you cannot claim to be drawing on fresh life-giving water, the fresh life-giving water of God's word, if your tongue is spitting out bitter, salty water. That doesn't add up. Nor can you expect to produce fruit in keeping with God's purposes if you will not humbly accept his word planted in you. The double-minded heart produces different fruit altogether, as we will see next week in verse 16. But let me conclude by coming back to my earlier question. Now, what do we do with our hearts? Hearts that drive this damaging, angry, selfish speech. How can we who teach or or may teach in the future who will be judged more strictly tame our tongues? How can we all do that? What do we do in light of this? Do we uh, hatch some uh, this week vain self-help plan, uh, some vow to change our speech, to hold our tongue when we are under pressure next time? 
Our vow that verse eight says will fail. No man can tame the tongue. So do we, uh, in response to that, do we just give up? Do we lower the bar a little? Expect less of ourselves and each other as new creations being grown towards maturity. That's just the way we are. Or perhaps tonight, are we willing to heed James' solution? To find ourselves in the place we need to be before our God, that is helpless, in need of redemption. It is the only place, the only place where we will hear properly the precious words that are going to come in this book in James 4 verse 6. Have a look at them. James 4 verse 6. I am helpless, unable to tame my own tongue, which I know does damage, but 4 verse 6, he gives us more grace. Here's the question for us tonight. Are you willing to be changed by his grace? Are you humble enough for that? Are you humble enough to accept his word of grace that he has planted in you by his spirit that can save you from this? Well, I reckon to be humble enough, enough, first, you need to accept and I need to accept the damage we have done with our tongues. It is serious, really serious. What's needed is radical repentance. It's the sort of repentance spoken of if you're still in chapter 4, 4 verse 9 where rather than mock this, rather than make a joke of our speech, we grieve, mourn, wail. We change our laughter to mourning, our joy to gloom. We say, no, this is serious. Secondly, to be humble enough means no more excuses. That's our playbook, isn't it, with speech sins? Uh, Even if we see the damage done, there's always mitigating circumstances. The situation led to it. Pressure, provocation, but that doesn't fly with our God. James isn't calling us to a life of faith in a bubble. He's calling us to life of faith in the real world. This should not be, he says in 3 verse 10. Third, if we're humble enough, we will see that we can't tame our tongue on our own. Which fourthly means if we're humble enough, we will trust the grace he always is willing to give more of to bring about real and lasting change. And throughout James, we have seen the means of change, deep change, heart change, has been clear. It comes when we humbly seek his wisdom, when we humbly accept the word he speaks to save us, to move us on to maturity and completeness. And so let us hear the word of our God about our tongues and know that he will give more grace. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up. I was taught the gospel by one of the great teachers of his generation. And for some reason, he came to my mind this week as I prepared. And I think it's because I finally worked out what made him such a great teacher. It was simply this. He is a man who walks humbly with his king. A man of humble speech. There were no tricks. Hardly ever gave an illustration. He wasn't funny in the slightest No big personality, no rhetorical devices, but when he spoke the word those Sundays around seven, it came at you like thunder. Why? No, he wasn't perfect. We all stumble, but it was his humility. It was, as Malachi 2 puts it, he was humble before God. True instruction was found on his mouth and no evil found in his tongue. And so let me encourage you this night to join me in prayer for the many who teach in this church in all sorts of contexts and those who would presume to in the future. 
Pray for humble hearts that walk to the sound of the wisdom of heaven. Let us pray boldly that God would send out many teachers, but let us pray in the words of Proverbs 16.32, not for more warriors, but for people humble and slow with angry words. Not for those who seem capable of taking a city. Instead, let us plead for those who have taken control of their tongue by the grace of God. Well, let's pray to that end together now. Father God, we have seen again in James tonight what uh, walking by faith looks like. We see how it does affect the the nitty-gritty of our lives, our, our very speech Uh, We've seen the power of our tongue and the damage we can do and have done. And we want to repent of that. Uh, We want to change and we know we need your grace, your word of grace to do that. So start that work in us tonight and this week. And we pray, Father, that you would indeed, uh, amongst the teachers of this church in all the contexts where that happens and those who will be raised up in the future to teach Uh, that you would place in them hearts that are humble before your heavenly wisdom. And we pray this for our good and your glory. Amen.